I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. In our homes a Monday will do Joe Weeks To fight the blab it'll all have blown over In a month of the most We'll be propped at the bar on a school night as usual Now, I wrote this little ode to the pub in May last year after having had a conversation with a friend I bumped into outside the local bakery who said, oh, I can't believe this is going to go on for like another three weeks. I thought it should be over by now. <laughs> and my eldest daughter heard me singing this at our family piano recently and said, oh, it's ironic, isn't it? And I was like, yes, yes, my love, it is ironic. And that was a really proud dad moment for me there because my 10-year-old could spot the irony because lo and behold, it's been a year here in the UK since the Prime Minister told Britons that they should not close pubs, but we shouldn't go to them. So much has passed in that time since then. And yet pubs and bars have barely had chance to open here in the UK and in many other countries across the world. And one of the things I wanted to recreate in that little O to the pub was happy memories of the pub in particular a folk club that I used to attend on occasion 10 years ago. I'd take my Martin guitar, squeeze myself up the narrow staircase with a pie and moonshine in one hand and a flight case in the other, and I'd settle down for a night of listening to just about any narrative you can put to music with an accordion, a banjo, a fiddle, or one person would even bring an auto harp. Pubs have long been a staple part of society, particularly in these parts of the world, and have undergone countless changes over the centuries. However, even in wartime, where pubs were forced to operate on restricted hours to keep the streets dark during blackouts or keep workers sober and hangover free, there was still opportunity to frequent the local. Fast forward to the 21st century and you don't need me to tell you that the world is fighting an altogether different kind of war. Pubs and hospitality have no doubt been the fall guy during the coronavirus pandemic. There have been stats from the Office for National Statistics that show hospitality businesses have seen fewer transmission rates than schools and workplaces. But the sad fact is, wherever people gather indoors, there is a potential to pick up and pass on this coronavirus that could lead to someone's untimely death. There are no easy answers here, but without government intervention, that is fair to everyone, and not just to certain chains that offer substantial meals to accompany a pint. Many of our humble pubs will simply remain boarded up when restrictions are gradually eased. Camera, the campaign for real ale, have been one of the many groups increasingly lobbying the government for further support for the industry. Their approach, as you'll hear, isn't all gung-ho, firing through the air with two guns, shouting, Aah! It's measured, it's well thought through, it's nuanced and approached with care and diligence. 
not qualities that often shine through these days over social media where eye space is usually reserved for who can shout the loudest and angriest. In this conversation with Nick Bowley, Camera's campaigns director, we discuss how pubs need ongoing support to weather this storm and try to unpick some of the long-term prognosis for pubs post-pandemic, as well as looking at how people feel about attending mass gatherings such as the Great British Beer Festival and the impact that small breweries relief will have on the industry as a whole. There's a lot to be said about this topic, and I could certainly talk for hours on end about the topic of pubs alone. And I'm hoping to be able to do just that with some of you down the local pub as soon as they are open. A thick pint of scrumptious cask ale in hand sat in a warm, breezy beer garden. Unfortunately, I won't have to wait too long for that moment. Unlike peering at the bar from a distance and surveying the pump clips because I can't get close to it because of coronavirus and you get shown to your table and all that. It's time to settle for reading the menus on the table and along with it, this week's Necessary Blurb. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Just before I play today's interview with Nick Bowley from Camera, I just want to say that at points in this discussion, the audio quality isn't great. And that's because everybody in the whole entire world, and more so on my street, was on Zoom or doing Joe Wicks on YouTube at the time of recording. So all that data trying to get through the fiber optic cables was a little bit like trying to pull a draft beer through a keg line that had been dry hopped by a rookie brewer who didn't know how to filter their beer, not mentioning any names. Nick and Paddy. Um, <laughs> so um, if at points some of the audio drops out, um, it'll be momentary. I've done a, a, a relatively decent job of editing it. Took a, f- a few double IPAs to do it, but um, you'll get the gist. It's all good. It's a great conversation. So here's this week's discussion with Nick Bowley from Camera talking about pubs and the pandemic. My guest on the podcast today is Nick Bowley, campaigns director for Camera. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you, all things considered. Cool, well, <laughs> b- before we crack open our, our conversation about pubs and the pandemic and SBR, can you give us a bit of a heads up about who you are and what your role in camera involves? Yeah, I've been a camera member now for nearly 45 years. So I joined when I was a student. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've really been active in camera for about the last 20 years. Okay. And I've been a member of the national executive now for nearly five years in camera. And for the last year, I've been in in the role of campaigns director, which means I chair our strategic campaigns committee, which is to make sure that we oversee all the campaigning we need done according to what our members vote for at conference. Right. So it's it's quite a high it's quite a high level and strategic role. So uh, not the not the nitty gritty stuff, fortunately. So out of interest, how how many people actually work for Camera as a central organisation? Uh, we have 
about 45. Oh, right, okay. It's, uh, it, it, it might be a bit less now. Obviously, the, the pandemic's had a, a negative impact. Uh, so we've still got staff on furlough. We have had to lose a few staff, but it's still around 40 to 45. Right. Today, I want to talk about the British pub in the heart of the pandemic. So first off, how are pubs and publicans actually surviving the pandemic from a financial perspective? And are they even surviving? Um, we hear so many horror stories about pubs that are uh, going to the wall. Uh, we've been trying to list the number that are going to the wall, and it's still relatively small. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that that a lot of pubs are uh, have probably lost their uh, licensees rather than the pub actually shut. Uh, I think when when the licensee goes, I've seen a few around where I live. The assumption is the pub is shut, but it's still owned. It's still a pub. It's still the bricks and mortar, and they'll probably bounce back. Although how and in what shape or form is possibly the the big unknown. Support that the government have given pubs has been nothing short of appalling. Yep. Um, it's been totally insufficient. Uh, but it's good to see that some pub owning companies have done the right thing and reduced rent. Um, you know. For, for, I, one of my roles within camera is I'm the, the main liaison with Green King. They're 10 minutes walk from me, so it makes things nice and easy. <laughs> yeah. But 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 they they have, have responded and as one of many companies and they've they've given like the full 90% rent reductions to, to their tenants because obviously they can't trade. Um, to expect anyone to continue to pay rent rates and what have you when they have no income is is plainly completely mad. Uh and we have been lauding the government ever since the pandemic started to make sure that businesses like pubs and bars that cannot trade are given appropriate compensation uh, so the businesses can survive uh, into the long run. So, you know, there have been rate reductions, um, rates holidays, but to be quite honest, that's that's insufficient because there are so many other costs. Uh, that the, even with furlough, rates reduction and what have you, they still have to meet. Have to meet. So uh, we're all keeping our fingers crossed, and I think everyone's got as many, you know, good stories as bad ones. But uh, I, I think it'll all come out in the wash, yeah. you know, over the next twelve months. Yeah. And what about those pub companies that are still charging full whack? Because I'm aware with certain pub companies, you know, they, they tie you into certain utility providers and obviously, you know, you could get a, a cheaper gas or electric bill elsewhere. But then, you know, because of these deals and stuff, it's more expensive. So obviously, you know, it's, it's winter as well. Everyone's got the heating on. So, I mean, publicans, re, re, particularly in that um, circumstance, they, they are really between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, especially those, those who are, you know, living over the shop, so to speak, they've got they've got nowhere to go. Their rent, you know, is covering their place of work as well as, uh, as uh, their home, rather rather than their place of work. And if they still have to pay that, but they have no income, uh, yeah, between a rock and a hard place, just about sums it up. Yeah, I can't I can't begin to imagine. To be honest with you, um, I'm, just moving on slightly, we keep getting drip fed information, uh, you know, and leaked through the tabloids about pubs reopening and the rules they'll be subjugated to when they do. Why do you think the UK government keeps leaking information in this manner? And what's it doing to morale in the trade? Um, well, I can't really speak for the trade. Um, 
but but I have, obviously I know a few publicans, and mm. I think they're as fed up as everybody. I think the government is just flying kites. You know, it's, it's see see what the reaction is. Mm. It's a it's like a consultation by by. Well, it seems to be by the Daily Telegraph at the moment. Yeah, you know, you, you read you read what's in there, and then you know they have a look and see what the feedback is like. They go um, log into, twi- it, it, log it, into it's, Twitter. It's, 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 yeah, they, they may as well just go on social media and, and find out. It, it does seem a very strange way of doing things, and it's uh, one of the big discussions that happens within within camera or within you know groups of camera members is: Are government targeting pubs? Are they scapegoating them, or are they just incompetent unthinking and it really falls into two very large schools of thought they're pretty much balanced yeah pubs are being scapegoated or no this government just really haven't thought about the consequences of of their actions um that there's a lack of joined up thinking and about you know they concentrate on one thing and then the law of unintended consequences takes over somewhere else um but again, it's another thing that will come out in the wash, uh, you know, about what exactly they're, they're trying to do. But it's very hard not to think that pubs are being unfairly targeted, yeah, in some way or other, yeah, deliberate or or accidental. I mean, one one of the other things we keep hearing about um, is when pubs open, you know, they have to serve a substantial meal or a scotch egg or whatever, and then you get pubs that. Um, aren't doing takeaway alcohol, etc. I mean, wh- wh- why do you think there's such a drive to ban the sale of alcohol through pubs during the pandemic? Like, is, the, is there a reason behind this? The reason that I've always been given, and, and I've certainly been in touch with my MP, who also happens to be a, a health minister, is that there is evidence that drinkers congregate outside pubs when they go and get a takeaway Uh they congregate, they drink socially on the street, and this causes the uh, the virus to spread. Now, I think most people have probably seen the odd example of this happening in the past. Yep. Certainly way back in the spring. I certainly noticed uh, on a few occasions this happening. Um, and uh, if, I, if I'd seen it again, I, I actually probably would have said something to the authorities because I know that pubs that break the rules don't enforce it properly, queer the pitch for everybody. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't seem fair that everyone gets penalised because of the actions of, a, of what is a tiny minority. Um, now, that's the reason that we've been given. Uh, we've been told just to, to, to stop uh, campaigning about this because we're getting a bit tiresome. Um, you know, that we've been banging on about this. Uh, but every morning when I'm out walking my dog, what do I see? I see people standing outside coffee shops, socialising with their takeaways of coffee. Yep. Now, the virus doesn't know the difference between what's in, whether you've got a cup of coffee or a pint of beer. So it just strikes me that the rules are not not being, they're not consistent. Uh, and it's this, you know, not really thinking about how it, how it all works out. Um, you know, it's an easy one to solve. If pubs want to sell takeaway um, in a sealed container, you know, then you can't drink it on the street. And it becomes no different from going to get your slab of lager from the supermarket. Yep. So it, it seems to me it's unfair and it's based upon a very, very small problem that has been observed occasionally in the past. Um, 
you know, and I basically think that in any pub who's breaking those rules, you know, if they get closed down, then or, or, or someone has a go at them, so to speak, they're fair enough. They deserve it. Mm. I mean, a lot of people would say that this government's got it in for small independent businesses or that the temperance movement is fighting to ensure that people don't get wasted. And we don't, we don't have, you know, those um, scenes that you'd see in the tabloids, you know, from the Saturday night carnage um you know that we used to see splashed over the front of the papers and this is their golden opportunity you know to rectify that like what what would you say to these theories and then you know to counteract it what what role does the humble pub play in british culture yeah it, it it's there is influence from the temperance movement and has been for many years so i think there are those who are have got their um uh, have got some influence and are, and are trying to assert it in, in these difficult times. Um, but if they were that strong, then the way the government applied the rules would be much more um, broad and mm. it would affect places like supermarkets. You know, um, I'm constantly having deliveries of beer from all over the place to see me through the pandemic. No one's stopping anyone going to the supermarket and, and filling up their trolley with whatever. Um, so why why pubs are having to pay, you know, pay the price and, and take the brunt of this is something that confuses me. A pub is not just a place to go and have a drink. In fact, it's been proven on numerous occasions that many people go to the pub and having a drink is, is almost incidental. They go for social reasons, mm. to meet people, to have a chat, to chew, chew the cud, you know, discuss the issues of the day. Um, I always brought up my kids to say, you go to the pub, you sit in the corner with your mates and you put the world to rights. That's what the pub's about. Yeah. Um, and they do. Uh, it, 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 it is part of the great British pub and, the, and, and our, if you like, our social culture. Um, pubs are places where people drink responsibly as, as a rule. Um, any public and worthy salt will not serve anyone who's drunk. Yeah, you can fill up your shopping trolley and you can drink yourself into oblivion. So where's the fairness in that? And this is all that we in camera are concerned about, is making sure that there is fairness, pubs are treated properly, and the positives that, that contribute to society are recognised. There have been many studies that we've commissioned, other people have commissioned, that shows what a force for good the pub is. Yep. Uh, particularly in terms of mental health, loneliness. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing my wife and I can sit here and, and, and talk to each other of an evening, but sometimes you just think, wouldn't it be nice just to go down the pub and talk to other people? You know, and that's that's what you miss. That's absolutely what you miss. It's interesting you should say that because um, Pete Brown, who's the, the beer writer, um, had tweeted yesterday um yeah. saying that he'd just seen the figures for the total 2020 beer sales um compiled by hmrc and the the on-trade lost um just over seven million barrels worth of beer um off-train gained three million barrels so there's a total of four million fewer barrels of beer sold in 2020 than 2019 but then he goes on to say that um yeah. beer was down cider was down but wine was up and uh 6.4 percent and spirits were at 5.6 percent and wine and cocktails have benefited as lockdown treats, like loads of, you know, on Google searches, uh, loads of people are looking up classic cocktail recipes. So that pretty much backs what you said about people going into supermarkets and piling up mm. on the booze. Um, so 
I mean, like, just just off the back of all that, um, you know, let's say when pubs reopen and if they reintroduce this rule of, um, you know, substantial meals and scotch eggs and whatever, um, where does all this leave wet-led pubs? Because um, they seem to have had a really hard time during, throughout the pandemic. Um, and my observation of wet-led pubs and micro-pubs is largely the kind of people that go and drink in those types of pubs because they're very beer led and, and wet led pubs you get a different type of drinker in there as opposed to like in your big chain pubs you know like i'm not going to mention names but you get the idea i know what you mean yeah wink wink nudge nudge say no more you know where, where does this leave wet led pubs in the long run they're the ones that really suffered They've suffered enormously, but and they are, if you grow sector within pubs, or have been up until now, um, I, f- I feel incredibly sorry for them, unless they are, you know, they have owners, uh, landlords, what have you, who, who who are able to keep them going. And I'm very fortunate in a wet lead pub that I went allowed to drink in quite frequently. Uh, because part of a very small chain, you know, they're there because the rest of the business can support them to some extent. Not the same for everybody, and it's it's very worrying. Um, you have eat out to help out in the summer, you know, that, that's had a bit of a, a, a mixed reception. You have VAT holidays or VAT reductions for food and non-alcoholic drinks. But the pubs just cut that and go, what have we done wrong? Again, wet-led pubs tend to be the places where people congregate and and have a chat and socialise. Um, yes, they sell beer, sell cider, uh, but I think it's the type of venue they are and the type of activity they promote, which is much more social, that means that they're they're extremely important in our society and in our culture, mm. and just been completely and utterly forgotten. It's uh, it's very sad. It's it's sad and it's frustrating. Yeah. Absolutely. So when restrictions are relaxed and life returns to some vague sense of, quote, end quote, normality, like how do you think people will respond when it comes back to going to the pub? And do you think people will also have the confidence to attend mass gatherings such as the Great British Beer Festival? Um, that is going to take time. Uh, I, I think the, the evidence from... After the first lockdown, people very slowly um, got used to going back to the pub, were happy to do so. Not everybody, but many people, uh, and certainly got used to all the restrictions um, just so they could you know, enjoy the pub again. Uh, I think they will, but it, it will take time. Uh, a lot does depend on how the, how the pandemic develops, how the vaccination programme uh, how successful it is, I should say, uh, and that is going to that's going to be key in giving people confidence that they can go back to the pub. Um, the Great British Beer Festival, well, it isn't this year. Again, mm. it's been cancelled. Um, uh, no certainty that it we would be able to hold it, uh, it and we couldn't make a decision that late in the day anyway. But uh, there are many. Uh, camera branches who want to hold a festival beer festival as soon as they can it is going to be a challenge uh mass gatherings are possibly the 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 last thing that people are going to feel comfortable with i think it's going to come gradually 
but uh, it, uh, so much depends on what happens with the virus and with the vaccination program. You know, once it is suppressed and we accept that we probably have to live with a small level of it, very much like we have to live with flu and colds, you know, it's, it's part of the same family mm. after all. Uh, then I think there will be some, uh, there'll be some more thought about that because the scavenging come in many shapes and forms. I mean, I, I, I'm a football fan. Just don't know how frustrating not being able to go to a match for a year. I've been to one match in the last year, right. and I couldn't couldn't e I couldn't even see the people sitting either side of me. They were so far away. Um, it's kind of an atmosphere killer, isn't it? Yeah, it is because these things are so. You know, they're, they're as much a special occasion as anything. You know, when you go out somewhere, you know, even if you don't know the people you're going with, to speak, you know, I'll pitch up to a cricket match and I'll be talking to the people next to me. I've never seen them before and I'll probably never see them again. Mm. But that's all part of the idea of going out and socialising. That's, you know, that's that's the people we are. Yeah, yeah. So it, it will happen, but I think it will happen slowly. Uh, camera, as we have to play a role literally over the last day or so ways of encouraging people back to the pub so you know our campaigns to make to make people in pubs open that they should go um not do it in an irresponsible way but try and encourage but also at the same time encourage pubs to open and to and to be welcoming um it's not just you know, the customers beating a path to the door of the pub. It's the pub being there to come the customers with open arms. Uh, and, of course, all the best pubs, we, we, we suspect, are going to do that. But uh, we've got to get all pubs on board with this and, and get people to feel confident going there. Yeah. So, so that's that's the next job. Yeah. That's no small feat. <laughs> Um, I mean, uh, it's interesting that you touch upon, um, you know, the, the low having to live with low levels of the virus. Um, I was chatting to a friend and client of mine, um, a guy called Kevin Bature, who's um, the one of the co-founders of Nigeria's first craft brewery, um, fairly recently, and he, he's an expat, so he's he's from Glasgow. But he was saying how, um, you know, in Nigeria they have to live, and for years, decades, even, have had to live with constant threat of malaria and typhoid fever so it's just ingrained into their culture about the whole kind of hand washing and, and that kind of you know try, trying to keep safe <laughs> from from getting diseased whereas i think we've been relatively lucky in the northern hemisphere and in in the western world that we've we've not really had any kind of um you know disease that is so virulent and potentially life threatening, albeit, you know, on a, a, a relatively small scale, although it's, you know, it feels massive, you know, in comparison to something like Ebola, for example, you know, it's the, the mortality rate yeah. is much less. Um, and, you know, it's, it, I do think we're going to have to, we're just going to have to live with this. And it's, I mean, it sucks. And I, th I wonder whether it's, it's more people are feeling the effects of, lockdown more than the kind of um effects of living with a virus if that makes sense i don't want to try to come across too controversial because I'm, I'm not saying it you know oh it doesn't matter because it evidently does people dying and that's terrible um but if, we, if we're going to live with this low level of of covid which you know potentially is life-threatening 
um, you know, in the way that flu is, but probably a bit more so, um, then, like, do you see, and I've been a little bit dystopian here intentionally, but do, do you see that over the next however many seasons in winter that we're just going to have a regular season between I don't know, November and March every year of having a lockdown where pubs have to close? Um, you see that. What I do see is that uh, there'll be a vaccination booster every year, just like the flu. Um, I think the other thing we need to, we need to look at is you know, the figures though if there is a big surge say you know in November or December every year then we have to be able to react to that mm. but um, I can't see that uh, <laughs> let, 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 anyway, I'll introduce my element of controversy here okay um, there is very little evidence that one of the major vectors for transmission virus is hospitality. Yep. Um, now, I'm very fortunate. I have no school children. Uh, I have no grandchildren yet. Therefore, I have, uh, you know, um, no skin in the particular game about education. And I certainly wouldn't want to see children's education being disrupted any more than it has been. But to say that pubs shut because people people are spreading the virus when it's going rampant in education uh, is deeply, deeply frustrating to me wearing my camera campaigns director hat. Um, so if you want to talk about, oh, are we going to have to have lockdowns with pubs shutting every winter if we can't get rid of this virus? Uh, then the same could apply to education. It could apply to retail. It could apply to anything. Uh, why does the virus know you're in a pub rather than you're in a supermarket or a school or a college? I don't think it does. Um, so that's that's my throwing that back at you. Um, and if there is some element of, of you know, doing what you suggest might have to happen, then that, that could be further evidence that, that the government is scapegoating hospitality uh, or not listening to all the evidence, all the scientific and medical evidence that they're getting. Yep. Obviously, they have to balance that with all sorts of other things, and it can't be an easy job. Um, but if the science says there's a problem in a particular place, then to address that mm. um, and, and not just say, we'll shut the pubs, we'll shut restaurants. Um, you know, that's, that's, that strikes, that strikes me as wrong. Well, I mean, I'm hypothetically throwing that out there sort of intentionally. I mean, my wife's a teacher and we've had so many conversations surrounding this being like, why is it safe for you to be in a classroom with all these kids that evidently aren't social distancing and they might be in their class bubble or their year bubble or whatever. But like I've, I've seen kids coming to and from school that are all hanging out with the mates. And even in, you know, even, well, I, was at, I went for a walk the other night and I saw a bunch of kids standing around closely together, you know. So it's evidently not happening there. Um, but, you know, you've got this situation where it, it's, you've got this environment where it is just a hotbed 
of germs that are able to spread. And yet pubs have got all, you know, they've got PPE, they've got screens, they've got sanitizer, you're social distanced, you've got to do track and trace and all the rest of it. And, and I agree, I totally agree with you. I think if, if that, ha- if that happens every winter, then it is scapegoating. I, I, I do. I personally think that pubs are being, and hospitality is being scapegoated because it's an easy, it's an easy win for the government to be seen to be quote unquote yeah. doing something. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that is a that is a point of view that that many that many people have. I'm I'm not sure, um, but it certainly looks like that. Yeah. So let, let's turn our attention to SBR, the the other controversial topic of the day. So um, obviously the, the Treasury announced oh, yes. that um, you know it finished its review of the scheme, and then they were going to reduce the annual production hectoliterage um, from 5,000 hectoliters to 2,100, meaning that a whole bunch of breweries were now going to have to potentially start paying more beer tax. Um, now, am I right in thinking at first Camera declined to comment on this and faced a lot of criticism for not wading straight in? Is that right? or um, That is absolutely right. Um, what, why was that? We are not a knee-jerk organisation. Right. Um, we there were there were two points of view uh, regarding um, the duty issue. There's the 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 CBA view. Yep. Um, as this uh, the the uh, small brewers duty reform coalition view, and they tend to represent slightly uh, slightly larger small brewers. Yep. Um, who who may or may not be suffering from the current. Um, structure of, of SBR. Now, in order to make um, a salient contribution, we decided that we list to both their arguments and then decide on which side, if any, we would come down upon. Mm. So as quickly as we could organise a meeting via, you know, online, uh, we, we did so. Uh, I chaired that particular meeting, and uh, having listened to all the arguments, uh, we came to the belief that we agreed with the SEBA point of view, and then we threw our weight behind the petition from uh, Ansbach and Hobday to keep the um, uh, current uh, lower threshold for SBR, mm. uh, and uh, asked their members to sign that particular petition. Now that that was not a knee-jerk reaction. There were people within the campaign who saw both sides or and supported both sides of that particular argument. So in order, so just to go marching off and and coming down, you know, with a particular position would have been wrong and disrespectful to many many of our members. Hmm. So we did it in a in a, in a controlled. Uh, practical way I could we could do it logically listen to the evidence and come to our own decisions and amongst us within the, the various campaigning committees within the within the campaign uh, decide where we wanted to go vote if necessary we were basically unanimous view anyway uh, across all the attendees of the meeting so you know I think I'll say about camera and I think this is a very strong thing. As I say, we don't do knee-jerk. We do consider things. 
we have some really, really good staff who can analyse the situations, produce uh, background papers. They can produce all sorts of um, different arguments. They can they can look at the whole situation and give us the facts and various interpretations and scenarios, so that we can act uh, with a certain amount of confidence and a certain amount of knowledge. Um, we don't do things to get column inches. Yep. Uh, we try and come up with rational argument with which we can try and convince the powers that be um, which way that they should be going. Now, that's not pointing fingers to anybody else, but we have a way of doing things. Um, say, if you want if you want column inches and headlines, but with no substance behind it, well, you can join other organisations if you want to. <laughs> um, you know, everyone's every everyone everyone has a role to play in in campaigning. This is the way that we in camera do it. Yeah. No, I, I've I've got. And I'm I'm proud, and I'm proud that we do it that way because you know I I spent forty years working as a scientist, and. The only thing that ever worked for me is evidence. Yeah, and data. And logic. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I've, I've got the utmost admiration um, for Cameron and your response there. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night about um, the whole kind of, you know, the social media outrage and all the rest of it. And, and it seems that these days there's a real lack of nuanced debate. Um, I mean, I've, I've done um, podcasts with... Um, Timothy Taylor's, for example. Um, so I, I chatted to Tim Dewey from Timothy Taylor's um, sometime last year, I can't remember when it was last year, um, about their stance on on the reforms because they did obviously they published a um, a thing on the website and then all hell broke loose online on social media. Um, and I wanted to gain a better understanding, you know. And like, although again, I'm I I agree with Seba's um, point of view. And, and that's the side I'm on. I, apparently I was on the radio this morning um, for an interview I did yesterday um, talking about it and throwing my support behind that, which I completely do. But there were things when I talked to Tim from Timothy Taylor's, I was like, well, I, I can see a point of view there. So I can see how for a company of your size, I can see your logic. I don't wholly agree with it, but I can see why as the company of your size and, and the position you're in as the chief executive, why you would campaign for that. So obviously with camera holding these, you know, tensions of, of, you know, um, being able to see both sides of the argument. Um, I mean, how, how would you respond to breweries, for example, like Timothy Taylor's, et cetera, um, who do make really good real ales and cask condition beers, but have come out in favors of, of, of the reform seeing as that now you've, you know, you've looked at evidence and decided actually we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with Seba and their members on this. When we had our meeting, uh, I made sure that I briefed everyone there. Getting to remember that back in the 70s, brewers like Timothy Taylor's, you can mention Harvey's, Palmer's, you know, the family brewers like that, they stood by real ale when it was disappearing fast. They were our friends, and we mustn't forget that. Uh, and, and I think one of the things we found very difficult with this decision about which side we were on is that in a way we had to come down on one side or another. And the SEBA uh, approach just was, was far more logical. Um, it is not to say that brewers like Timothy Taylor's should be suffering. There are clearly problems with the SDR has been implemented. And, and you know, that 
there are ways of, as we say, smoothing the curve, the way that the, 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 the duty relief is applied that can help companies like that. Um, we What we were only concerned with, with that position was the lower threshold. That was where we were coming in. We do not want to see um, that, uh, that lowered, the lower threshold, because that impacts on so many very small brewers and new entrants. But what we would do want to see is a better way of dealing uh, with the curves, like as you go up the production curve, because at the moment it's a bit, you know, there are too many cliff edges mm. and it doesn't help people. And and then you've got the up the upper limit, which, you know, could be increased to 200,000 hectolitres from the current uh, level, which would help companies you know what are called the family brewers so much more um in a way we had to take a side but that was only when talking about the lower threshold um there's a great deal of uh, agreement among everyone in the industry about what happens further up but we were really just concerned with the bottom because it looked like the the, the small brewers duty reform coalition were supportive of of low at uh, uh changing the lower threshold down to 2100 hectoliters and we thought you know that 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 isn't good that actually did nothing to help the timothy taylors of this world in itself all it did is penalize others yeah. now there were a lot of people at the meeting i chaired that said excuse me that saying we can't have it so you can't have it either we're going to take our ball and run away and we didn't like that as an approach we thought that wasn't very collegiate um so yes you know we have a position on, on the lower threshold but it's really the, the the more difficult stuff is further up the curve and i think there is a great deal of uh, uh agreement about something needs to be done there. We haven't got a particular point. We're not dogmatic about how it can be changed. There are many models. Uh, we would just support anything sensible that the bulk of the industry supports, because after all, it is them that has to pay that. It is, the, it is an industry problem. We just want to make sure that consumers are protected in terms of choice, quality, and value. Um, so, yeah, if, if all the various brewers of different sizes come up with, with uh, a system or a preferred system and say look we think this can work then we'll pile in behind that mm. you know because we don't have skin in a particular game we don't pay these we're not an industry body um we can only angle and say well you come up with something sensible we're with you yeah as long as long as it, long as it helps consumers because that's where we are yeah does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what what impacts will SBR realistically have on pubs and consumers then? Um, oh, it's difficult to see what sort of um, impact there will be. I suspect it might well prevent um, people from starting up breweries. It's certainly going to put uh, those brewers are in who, who are sort of between the current and the um, uh, preferred uh, lower threshold if they're in that band it's going to him impact them financially which could lead to them potentially closing it's or giving them um, financial issues which could mean increasing prices 
or or and or decreasing quality. Often, you know, quality at that end of the market is very important because it's what differentiates beer A from beer B. So you get into the local pub. Um, so that's our concern is, is that it will impact choice and could impact quality um, because it's going to put too much financial pressure on that particular band of brewers mm. who are trying to try to break into the market. Um, you know, it, it could lead to some um, mergers, uh, takeovers, and it could lead to some closure. Um, you know, or, the, the market is pretty much saturated. I think everyone admits that. Yeah. But what we don't want to see is brewers going to the wall who are viable, who who have good products, um, and really just need that little bit of a leg up to get established. Um, you know, there's room for everyone in this market. Yeah. Um, providing, you know, if they can get their products into, into pubs, what we all want is to see good quality local beers in local pubs. Um, preferably delivered locally rather than going around the houses through some huge pub or delivery um, chain. But, you know, get rid of beer miles. It, it, it's what most people actually want to see. You know, you see the various um, reports from from uh, Castmark, you know, the Cast Report, local beers, local pubs, good quality local relayals. That's what people like in the pub. Yeah, you know, and and that could be threatened to some extent by this because it's going to be the bigger companies who can you know ship beers more around the country who could benefit uh, as a result. Yeah. Do you think that the government aren't listening? Because it seems like there's a whole to me in it anyway, at least. And I I admit I could be in an echo chamber. just, you know, depending on who I follow on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook and all that. Um, but it, it seems to me there's a whole bunch of breweries and, and bodies and industry types who are all saying, no, this, this, these reforms don't work, you know, lobbying government, but they, they seem sort of hell-bent on pushing through with it. And I know the technical consultation isn't over yet, um, but, I mean, it... it why, why is it coming across that way? Is it they've, they've, it's almost like they've pre-decided what they're going to do? Well, well, they have. They've, they've predetermined um, the level uh, of the lower threshold. They've predetermined that twenty-one hundred hectolitre level, uh, rather than having it as part of the consultation and the discussion. And we believe that that is wrong. Hmm. Um, but you know, we we. we we as camera want to change their mind on that but if we can't then it is essential that the way that the uh, the relief is applied as i say further up the curve is done in a much better way and i think that's where we're going to have to put as much um thought and as much effort as in trying to you know keep the lower threshold where it is that's you know that's like juggling and having two balls in the air at once, but it's something that we we, we do have to do. Um, are the government listening? They seem to have made their mind And I think, as we all know, when people make their minds up, who no matter who they are and where they are, they can be hard to shift. Yeah. Um, 
I suppose it all depends who, who has their ear. Uh, I, I would say um, that just on, on the basis of evidence that I've seen is that the the larger small brewers, the, you know, the, the, those who, who have been lobbying to, to, to lower that, 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 that lower threshold may have more clout within government. It may be that, that there's more... Um, influence there just just from the sort of you know people companies they are more more well established um it does seem that small businesses are are not uh, high on the government's radar yeah that doesn't surprise that's how it appears that's how it appears to me yeah well it appears to me like that as well so uh, you know if, mm. if it's what what's the saying you know um there's no smoke without a fire so uh, well, thanks for being on the podcast today, Nick. I really appreciate your time. Um, how can people find out more about Camera and find out more about um, some of the campaigns that um, you're helping to oversee and everything, and if they want to get in touch with you and ask any questions? Well, um, Camera can easily be found on the web with uh, www.camera.org.uk. Uh, if you're a member, you can sign in and have a look at uh, all the uh, all the campaigning stuff. There's there's a section on the website for that, but that's sadly only for members. Uh, I can always be contacted through nick.bowley at camera.org.uk, and uh, of course we camera are on social media. So there we have um, certainly we have Facebook and Twitter accounts. I don't know if we have an Instagram account. I don't do Instagram, but uh, we are all over uh, social media uh, as well. So uh, it's easy enough to find what we're up to. Uh, and if you can't, there's always someone who can help uh, point people in the right direction. But uh, the, thing, the only thing I'll say is that if you want to find out more, if you want to get involved, we always love people to come and join us uh, at Camera. It's still incredibly good value um but uh, i'm going to show my total ignorance i think it's something like 32 pounds a year or something like that um i've got I've, you know I, I don't always remember i just see the direct debit go out once a year <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we are but it, to my mind it's, it's such good value and, and anyone who says oh i can't afford that um well we know that there are some people who who do struggle financially, but for most people, that that is a that is a that is a snip for for what they can do and the information that we can we can give them and the education about beer and brewing and pubs that we can provide. There's so much that Camera does that perhaps people don't really notice um, in terms of educating and informing. Uh, and uh, you know, anything we can do to help. Uh, that's what we're here for brilliant well yeah thanks for being on the show oh thank you for your, for your time as well nick it's been it's been great to to participate well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes spotify and all other good platforms be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.